question the voices of res and I hear Plastics. Plastics is an SPE sponsored podcast. Happy Thursday. Thursday. Happy COVID Thursday, everyone. Happy COVID Thursday. We are doing a special episode where Mercedes is COVID riddled. She escaped it for all the years and now here she is. A couple of years, never had it. Yeah. And uh and yeah, now where I'm I'm not going into the plant every day anymore. Um finally got it somehow. That, but yeah, that, so, so frequent right. listeners will will notice that my voice sounds a little bit different than usual. <laughs> the background here, if you're watching the video, is my child's bedroom. Um so oh, perfect. having a lot of fun over here by myself. <laughs> you know what? I think really, is there any better way? To celebrate COVID than recording a podcast. It feels very on brand with COVID. It feels very on brand. It feels very on brand. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am uh, the stricken Mercedes Landazari. And I am Lindsay Neville. And with our powers combined, we are Plastics. The voices Plus. of resin. Yep. <laughs> and COVID. So resin and COVID today. Uh, <laughs> Tonight, COVID. Yeah. A little extra dash for you. Um, so you can listen to our lovely COVID pre-selves, um, every, every first Friday, Friday of every first month. Friday. I don't know there why I want to say every Friday. Not I, every have Friday. The brain fog. I have the brain fog this episode. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you're yeah. allowed to have some brain fog too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll share it. Um, and you can catch our podcast on all the podcast supplied areas like spotify all that you know once you're done streaming taylor swift's midnights in sadness of not getting any tickets then switch over to an episode of plastics to cheer you up yeah that's what i do yeah yep Um, i didn't get any tickets either yeah no no one did just the devils themselves (laughs) um (laughs) and you can catch us on social media um this podcast goes up on youtube And then also, if you catch us on Instagram and Twitter at Plast Chicks, remember, there's no I between the Plast and Chicks. Um, And one day, TikTok, we say it every episode, and I think we're going on about a year of saying it without actually (laughs) doing a TikTok. We have the handle reserved. We're very busy. Whenever... Yeah, exactly. Whenever TikTok becomes incredibly uncool... We will start our TikTok channel. I think that's it. So enough of our um, brain foggy chaos. Uh, we have a kind of extra special guest today because this guest is also doing something in conjunction with SPE that we will get into in a minute. Um, so today we have Neil Thompson. Um, and I think my favorite title, he has like a million titles, but my favorite one is Teacher of Geeks. So welcome, Neil. Thank you. Welcome, Neil. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. (laughs) So, um, Neil, you are the founder, owner of Teach the Geek to Speak, um, which I have to vouch for is a really, number one, just the title is outstanding. There there is no better title for that. Um, But number two, it is a really great... um, program. Again, I'm really firing on all 
two cylinders tonight. <laughs> what? Let's let him tell, tell us about it. Yeah. So tell us about, tell us about Teach the Geek. Sure. Well, Teach the Geek started with my own struggles giving presentations in front of people. It was my second job out of school. I was working as a product development engineer at a medical device company. And a few months into the job, my boss told me I was going to be a project lead. I didn't know what a project lead was, so I asked him. And apparently, the company was too cheap to hire project managers, so they pushed <laughs> that responsibility onto the product development engineers, one of which was giving presentations on a monthly basis in front of senior management. So we're talking to CEO, CTO, CMO, C, fill in the blank, O, all the Cs. <laughs> And they were all in this room and all the engineers pretty, pretty much had to get up in front of them and tell them about their projects and any status updates. And those first few presentations that I gave were absolutely horrendous. <laughs> I, I did not know it was possible to sweat that profusely in front of from one's body. And but there, <laughs> there it was. But and, but I, I eventually got the message that this is something that I needed to get better at because my project was canceled. And this was over, this, this is about 15 years ago now. And I still believe that perhaps if I was just better at, at, at relaying the information to these people at, in a way that they could really take in and understand, maybe I could have saved the project. I suppose we'll never know. But <laughs> that, that at least was the wake up call that I needed to get better at getting, at, at just being better and more prepared, more proficient at giving presentations in front of others, especially non-technical audiences, when I had to give these technical type presentations. And I basically turned everything that I learned in my journey to become better at giving presentations into an online course. And I called it Teach the Geek to Speak. But then I decided maybe a couple of years after I started the course that I wanted to offer a membership as well, as opposed to just a one-off course. So that's where the whole membership idea came from and what I've been doing with SPE for the last few months, which is a, a, in addition to having access to the course, you also get an online, an online portal where people could talk to each other, ask questions, and then there's these monthly calls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I will it's such a, it's such a, a common thing, right? Where people are, you know, as, as we as we move up in our in, in our roles, we reach our own level of incompetence. Right. So this is something to get past that hurdle. Right. So an engineer, regardless of maybe maybe someone who comes from from, from this background of, OK, I'm, I'm focused on this task. I'm focused on solving this problem, but they get better and better at it. And now it's their job to present their work to others. And and where they maybe never received any formal training for it at all. So it's it's a fantastic program that you have. So can you tell us a little bit more about your specific background in engineering? How did how did you come to it? Do you know? So Lindsay, for example, always knew, you know, she wanted to be an engineer. <laughs> I I had no idea I wanted to get into this industry. What about you? Oh no, I I became an engineer because my father told me to. <laughs> and I used to lie about okay. that reasoning reason because I was embarrassed by it because um, like many most people are like Lindsay they they always knew they wanted to be an engineer maybe they played with Legos as a child maybe they were in robotics club when they were in school there was no robotics club at my high school and I don't even remember playing with Legos all that much I became an engineer because my father said become an engineer and I had I didn't really have any ideas other than that so I just said engineering school it is so that's what I did I love it. And which 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 school did you go to? I, well, I, I've been to a few. I went to a few. So I'm originally from Canada. So the first school I went to was the University of Toronto. And then I went to Clemson University to do a master's because my father said do a master's. And then I went to Columbia University to do a Ph.D., but I dropped out after a year. By that time, I was about 25 years old. I I'd, I'd done what he told me to do up until that time. But now 
I had to live from your, now I decided I was going to live for myself and do what I wanted to do because ultimately you have to live for what you want as opposed to what other people want for you. Absolutely. I totally rebelled against my dad by not getting a PhD also. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's fantastic. So, and then you, and then you, um, and then you became a product development engineer. And so what, what types of, of projects did you get to work on? Well, the companies I worked worked with were mostly orthopedic implants, more specifically spinal implants, and more specifically than that, orthobiologics. When I often I talk about orthobiologics, most people don't know what that is. But essentially, spinal implants can be made out of a number of materials, metals or ceramics, but they can also be made out of human cadaver bone. So I used to work in the groups that made or designed these implants, these spinal implants, out of human cadaver bone. What a... Fun time. Was your house always the best house for Halloween? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it, it certainly wouldn't be if I just came from the tissue bank. If you've ever been to a tissue bank, (laughs) it's a smell that you'll never forget. And it gets into your clothes. And then you go home and then now your your whole house smells like it. It's it just it stays in your nostrils. It's it's a nasty Mm. smell. You ever, it's, it's because what we're getting is people's donated organs and their donated right. bones. And when you, you cut into them, you get all the, all the fat that comes off of them, especially if you're got the, the obese people, there's a whole lot of fat you got to get out, get rid of. It's, it's, it's not pleasant. <laughs> oh well, man. And I thought burning PVC smelled bad. I, I was going to say there. <laughs> I, I've done in like medical implants, but uh, they've all been plastic. So I'm just going to be very, very grateful for that. <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> God bless plastic. Um, so did you did. So were you happy with, with the field that you ended up going into? That's what I was going to ask. Did you like, did you, find happiness within engineering or was it at just some point you're like, all right, I've tried this for long enough. Luckily it worked out pretty well, but it (laughs) certainly could have gone the other way because I was just doing what someone else told me to do. And when now when I talk to people about going into fields, I'm, I'm very adamant about telling them is this needs to be something that you're willing to do and something that you're willing to work at because if not, then you'll leave. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I know there's a, even like freshman class, I, I don't know what the dropout rate was in your classes, but I know we had probably a class of originally maybe 40 and about five people dropped within the first semester. Just their parents said, you should go to school for engineering. They got there and they're like, nope, <laughs> just did a big old 180 and bowed out of there. Um, I don't know what happened to any of them. So I don't know where they went. <laughs> Um, so, you know, you're, you're talking, so Teach the Geek is really, as we mentioned, like handling one of the major flaws, I'm going to say it with air quotes for those listening audio only, um, of most engineers. If you go stereotypical engineer, they're not going to be a good speaker. And, uh, you know, I think most engineers, again, going stereotypical, are going to be looking at themselves to develop in, you know, whatever their field is, looking at taking courses on, you know, learning more about injection molding, because it's the bestest molding, um, learning about materials, you know, picking up stuff like that, learning from knowledge, yeah. all the technical knowledge. What do you have to come to that aha moment like you had to really start focus, like realizing that some of these soft skills are going to be 
just as beneficial as some of these techniques, if not more. Yeah, do, you have to, do you have to fail for, do you have to fall on your face first or can or do you, you, yeah. Or can you find or can you come to that realization without having a whole face in the pie moment? Well, I would hope so, <laughs> but it, it, it certainly, I think uh, the case where many people come to that conclusion is kind of like I did, something had to happen for them to finally see the, the benefit of it. One of which could very well be seeing somebody you think shouldn't have gotten the promotion and, and then pay raise that you thought you deserved get it because they were just more networked than you. They're better presenting than you. They're better at just connecting with others and building relationships than you were. And you thought you could just rely on your technical skills and, and do your job and keep your head down and everything would work out. But that's just not the case in most instances. Yeah, you got to be smart and pretty. <laughs> pretty pretty well, and soft skills. I mean, it goes to show you that it is that, that there are, I think, you know, as engineers, sometimes we, we tend to think in black and white, right? And and check the boxes. And and really those intangibles are, are things that aren't really in in our in the forefront of our minds, right? Um, but uh, you mentioned, you know, that that uh, in your in your job, you know, when you, when you were working as an engineer and then and as the as a project lead, um, that you were sometimes asked to present to uh, non-engineers and non-technical people, um, and and having to convey this technical data to um, non-technical people. Why do you think so many engineers struggle doing that? When we all start from the same place, right? We all start from with the same, you know, basic language. Yeah, I think one of the big issues we have is there's a lot of technical jargon that we may use amongst each other and we don't really give all that much credence that perhaps we shouldn't use all that technical jargon when talking to non-technical audiences because they're not going to understand what you're talking about. I mentioned that the first few presentations I gave were horrendous. One of the reasons they were so bad is because after the presentations, I would get questions that I thought I had answered during the presentation. But because I didn't put things in a way that people could understand, I was already a sweaty mess. Now I'm really a sweaty mess trying to answer all these questions. It's just, we, we just, we still, I don't think we put enough, enough thought into putting the information, this technical information into a way that people that don't have our level of expertise would understand. And it's, it's such a shame, especially if we were just to think about it for a minute. I mean, we weren't always engineers. We, we, what we know, we didn't always know. So we really should have that grace and empathy for the people that are in the audience that need to listen to what we have to say to think, well, they don't know what we know now. So what can we do to make it so that they can really take in what we have to say? I I love that, Neil, that coming coming at it from a place of, of, of empathy and grace rather than here's what I know and here's how I'm going to impress you with my knowledge. It's really like trying to empathize with your listeners. That's such a great point. Yeah, I, I think... Um... I, I'm I'm looking at that the same way. Like, is there a litmus test or like a quick test you have? You know, if you get done with a presentation and you have, say, you know, five questions that you thought you already answered, is there a certain number of those questions that you get that you're like, okay, I'm really outside the box, or you can, or you can blame that other person. Um, but uh, not asking for a friend. <laughs> Well, I mean, based on, <laughs> based on the questions I used to have to give, I mean, if you're getting the question, what does orthobiologics mean? That, that might be a problem. <laughs> but yeah, oftentimes it, it just comes down to, to words that you think are commonplace because you use them all the time. But 
this audience doesn't necessarily know those words. When I was, especially that second job, the orthobiologics group was a new group within the company. I was maybe the third employee that was hired into that group. So no one else in the company knew anything really about orthobiologics. So it was even more important for me to use terms that these people couldn't understand. And I just, I didn't get it at first. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I have a question. So I have a, I have a question. This podcast is basically all us asking questions. <laughs> but go ahead and try it out. <laughs> Great, Mercedes. Good job. Um, so when you you know, I feel like a lot of times um, after a presentation, it can be difficult to get constructive feedback. What are some what are some good questions to maybe solicit better feedback? Because, you know, people will oftentimes tell you, especially sometimes if they have no idea what you're talking about, say, oh, yeah, no, you sounded great. You knew what you were talking about. Great. Right. <laughs> and And you do. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you did a great job presenting the material to an audience who didn't understand it. Right. So what are some what are some kind of kind of uh, um, like barometer questions? What, what are some questions that we can ask ourselves to figure out, OK, how did my audience receive this and what is it that I need to be focused on? Well, typically, if you're preparing a presentation, you want there to be some sort of call to action. When I was giving presentations in front of your senior management, the call to action often was we need more resources. Maybe we need more time. We need some, you know, there's something that is needed. And I tried my best to to make that known throughout the presentation. So if you're soliciting feedback, at least in that instance, you can very well ask somebody in the audience, what do you think the call to action was? And if they can't answer it, well, maybe you didn't do the best job of conveying the information. Maybe you weren't interesting enough with the, with how you presented the information for them to pay attention. And then, then you then you can go back to the drawing board and think to yourself, well, what do I need to do to get better at making sure that everyone, or at least the majority of people, or the decision makers, the really important people, know what that call to action actually was? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think, I think that's good. Um, I know... Like I mentioned earlier, I've been um, participating in the membership and Teach the Geek, and I had a presentation a um, couple months ago, and I had the opportunity to go through it with Neil. And at the end, he goes, "So, what's your call to action?" And I was like, "Huh, good point. This just kind of <laughs> leaves it all out there." And I walk away, and I think that call to action made all the difference in the impact of it because. You know, it's it's all here's all the content. And, you know, we all get content all day long. I have a million things of content I can content away. But once I have an actual list of something to actively do as the listener, like it, it's a game changer. So I thought it was very helpful. <laughs> um, helpful. So you're kind of, you know, you're in the business of speakers. We got to know what are some of the worst speeches you have ever seen or worst speakers without without naming names. You don't have to name names, but if you want to name names and we know them even better. (laughs) No, you you definitely wouldn't know any of these people, (laughs) though. The worst the worst presentations I've ever seen have been at conferences, actually. So when I used to work as an engineer, I used to have to go to these conferences and a lot of them that I went to were very academic based. So a lot of the people who were giving presentations were grad students, postdocs and professors. And man, if you want, if you were sleepy going into one of these conferences, going to one of these conference talks, you better bring some coffee because you, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a problem staying awake, especially if you sit down. 
the <laughs> issue that you have with these these presenters, unfortunately, is that if you're in academia, doing a great job at giving a presentation isn't a metric that you're judged on when it mm. comes to moving up, you know, becoming a tenured professor or you know, moving into moving to a postdoc from a grad student you know, a grad student position. It's really the fact that you actually just gave the talk at that conference. So the 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 big problem is that a lot of times they'd have a whole lot of text on the slides and they just read the slides. Mm. The problem with that is it's really difficult to to engage an audience when you're not looking at them because you're you're looking at the slides because you get you, know, you have to read them. And another reason why it's a bad idea is the, the people that are actually in the audience, they're gonna read the slides too. And it's really difficult to read slides and listen to somebody at the same time. So that's an, another reason why it would it would be rather boring just reading slides and 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 you're, again you're already tired because this person is droning on over something and it's just it's just it's a it's a problem. And a way to get around it is to just minimize the amount of text on the slides so you, you, the presenter is then doesn't have that ability to read the slide. They now they have to know their material well enough to to say it off you know from their from their mind. And then also they can look at the audience and not only that, but it eliminates the ability for the audience to read your slides. Now they either have to listen to you or they ignore you. And hopefully you do enough, <laughs> a good enough of a job that they actually listen to what you have to say. And that kind of reminds me, you know, what you're saying earlier, Mercedes, like as engineers, we're just checking that box. And if you're in academia and you're looking to, you know, you're just looking to check that box. Like, yep, I gave that presentation. I did this study now move me right. on. <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember actually seeing, seeing, um, um, Aaron Kinney present once uh, the first yeah, time I saw so her present, and, and I went up to her afterwards, you know, I'd known her for a year, year and a half, maybe at that point. And I went up to her and I was like, you know, this, your presentation was incredible. The way you presented, she said, you know, it's something that I, I really worked a lot and she, you know, she, she has her own business, right? So she had to get really good at that. And she, she took classes and, and it was something that she worked on and it, it was night and day, you know, regardless of anybody else who was up on that stage that day's experience or, or, or knowledge or skill set, she really stood out because she had worked on this, this specific skill set of presenting. It was just so, so yeah. necessary. We all need to do it. And that's, and so that's one of the things like learning how to speak in front of people, it, you know, seems like such a very basic skill. And it almost seems like something that like, oh, yeah, like I know how to speak in front of people. But it's, it's really not as, um, as much of a talent as it is a skill. And so, it, you know, it comes down to fairly simple principles, you know, when you list it all out or look at it in a, in a on that perspective. But then when some people get up on stage or like actually go to do these presentations, it all goes out the window. Like, why, why do you think that is? Especially, you know, we're not talking about like just your everyday dummy. We're, we're talking about some really intelligent people not being able to hold right. all these really smart things along with the ability to talk, you know, what, what, what yeah, what's behind that? <laughs> I think a big issue is making sure that you convey all the information that you want to convey. And I think people can sometimes get tripped up if perhaps they, they, they don't present the information in the way that they had thought they were going to. And mm -hmm. if that happens, then they get kind of discombobulated and then the whole presentation goes to, 
goes to hell in a handbasket pretty quickly. And I think also another issue that people have with presentations is just a fear of them looking incompetent in front of people, especially people that they need to impress or or decision makers. For for instance, the, the presentations I used to have to give, I really didn't want the CEO to think that I was a bozo. I really, that's why I really, I got the message that getting better at giving these presentations was something that, that I should do. And it's made all the difference, really. If you, once you, once you at least overcome that, that, that fear of, of, of being or or looking incompetent, it, it makes all the difference. And another thing when it comes to that, other people, I mean, everyone feels that way. So even if you're in the audience and, and, or you're the presenter and you're feeling this way, just know that people in the audience have felt this way too. So you're kind of in this together, especially if you if you mm-hmm. think of it as the people in the audience actually want to see you do well. They're not really rooting against you because at some point they may be the ones giving the presentation and they certainly don't want the audience rooting against them. So if you just visualize yourself actually giving these presentations and and seeing things go well and, and not telling yourself that you're a, a bad presenter, just tell yourself that you're someone who's improving because we are, we, we manifest our thoughts pretty much. And, and if you, if you think that you're, if you think you suck, you will, but if you think you're improving, you will. I like right. that. And everybody has their horror stories. I remember Barb, when she gave her presentation at Antec, I think it was part of her dissertation actually, when she was getting her PhD and and uh, asked her how she did afterwards. She said, "I gave it with my my fly down the whole time. I found out afterwards. <laughs> you know, even the most impressive people have 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 even more impressive horror stories <laughs> of being on the podium." Yeah, I, I think there's like a um, a graph. Like, however smart you are, you have to fail this hard at at least one speech before you can progress to the next level. <laughs> So you know, what do you think is, is harder, dealing with medical device regulations or speaking in front of an audience? Speaking in front of an audience. Really? The reg- oh, yeah. When it comes to the regulations, you can push that off of the regulatory affairs people. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't my job. <laughs> figure that out. Uh, yeah, there's uh, I, I've dealt with some medical device, you know, uh, stuff like that, and yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you could at least follow the rules for medical device stuff. You know, with uh, with speaking in front of an audience, you're you're going with a dynamic situation. Um, you yeah, and you it's know. right there. It has to happen right now with medical yeah. device regulations. You can just keep pushing it back and pushing it back. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I worked in product development for a reason. We get to do the fun <laughs> stuff. We get to develop things and and be creative, and and that was and and that was fun. But the regulatory and quality is—they're like Doctor No. Everything's no to this. I watched this one TikTok of a guy who he answered. You know, his thing is he's the legal department at a big company, and every time he just answers it, and he's like, "Hey, this is the legal department." No, and then he hangs up. <laughs> Like, oh, that would actually be kind of fun. It's like um, the IT department. Turn it off and on again. <laughs> yeah. Regulatory. You, <laughs> yeah. you are the issue. Um, so I know in your, you know, even just from your LinkedIn, there's you have more titles than just teacher of geek. Can you tell us a little bit about some of your other projects you have? Because I know there are a lot. <laughs> sure. Well, there's there's patents. So I became a patent agent about 10 years ago and actually became a patent agent because the boss that I had at the time said that I should become a patent agent. 
I don't know if you see a pattern here. My father told me going to engineering. <laughs> my boss told me to become a patent agent. Apparently, I don't make decisions for myself. But I, I, I did become a patent agent. And funny enough, he asked me to become one so he wouldn't have to outsource patent drafting to outside counsel. And once I became a patent agent, he outside he, he outsourced everything to outside counsel. So for, <laughs> for, the, for the number of years, I didn't have anything to, to patent. But then maybe a couple of years ago, I started doing some contract work with a firm here in San Diego where I live. And I, I work mainly on medical device patents, drafting them, and then basically arguing with the patent office to get them approved. <laughs> so there's that. With a couple of former co-workers from my medical device engineering days, we do consulting with typically smaller medical device uh, companies on their packaging. Because oftentimes oh, cool. these companies are thinking mostly about the, the, the product, not necessarily mm-hmm. the packaging that it has to go into. And there's all kinds of regulations regarding the packaging as well. So I do that. And then there's also my children's book. And it's called Ask Uncle Neil, Why Is My Hair Curly? It's about my nephew asking me why his hair is the way it is. And I use science to answer the question. The goal of the book is to encourage curiosity in children so that they become the problem solvers that we want them to be. Because ultimately, the the question askers of today are the problem solvers of tomorrow. I love that. Amazing. Amazing. And where, where can we, is your book on Amazon? Where can we find your book? Oh, sure. I know. You can go, yeah. You can go to askuncleneilbooks.com. Askuncleneilbooks.com. And that's N-E-I-L, correct? That's right. Wonderful. And, um, and we're, I think we're run, about run out of time today. Um, if people uh, are not SPE members or if they are, how can they find you? How can they get enrolled in one of your Teach the Geek programs? Well, there's a if you are an SPE member, there there's the the website or there's a, there's a page on the SPE website. I I can't remember what the URL is at the at the top of my head. But if you want to learn more about Teach the Geek, you can go to teachthegeek.com. You can always email me at hello at teachthegeek.com. And also check out my YouTube channel and podcast. So I also have a podcast and, and YouTube channel where I interview typically people from the technical fields on their public speaking journeys. It's been really interesting to learn about people basically getting better at, at giving presentations. And you mentioned Erin Keeney. She was actually a guest on, on my podcast. So she, she was very interesting to talk to. But one of the it, one of the guests that I've had that was the most interesting, that, and I always mention her, is Christine Vartanian. She started off as a civil engineering grad, never worked as a civil engineer, though. Then she went to law school, worked as a lawyer for about four years. Then she was a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. And now she works as a personal stylist. This is someone I never would have have come in contact just in my regular travels. But just hearing that progression, civil engineering to law to mom to stylist, is just stories you don't hear every day. Yeah, I think uh, my favorite episode I listened to of yours was the um, the woman who was the burnout coach and like just how she framed it. And I think you even asked, like, um, don't we all feel burnout? And she's like, no, it's very scientific. And she like listed it. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> like she really like knew her stuff. I was like, I really enjoyed that episode. Oh, yeah, that was Kate Donovan. Yes. Let's say really. Remember my own Very name. Cool. Just... Well, yes, I will definitely be checking out that podcast and subscribing to that as well. Checking out the YouTube. Oh, yeah. I, for, I forgot to say the URL. So for the YouTube, it's youtube.teachthegeek.com. And for the podcast, it's podcast.teachthegeek.com. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, Neil Thompson, thank you so much. Um, this geek feels like she's learned quite a bit this evening. <laughs> <laughs> you will be, you will be 
Oh, I was going to say teach the geek. And then I realized that wasn't really a good pun. So I'm just going to stop here. (laughs) Thank you both for having me. Thanks, Neil. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great night. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Plastics, the Voices of Resin, is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, Inspiring Plastics Professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for, like the number, spe.org. Oh, plastics.